Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey's Ice Sport Radio. That's right, it's our rest of the league show. My name is Bill Matz. I am your director of fun and games for the evening. We have a jam-packed show for you heading into this roster freeze Wednesday. Just a couple of hours until uh, till everyone gets, uh, gets to be home for the holidays. Nobody's going to be traded after midnight tonight. Let's just get right into it. Joining me on the show this week, let's lead it off with the fly-by-yourself Kelly Hinkle. I missed you guys last week, if I'm being honest. But I got to listen to the show, and that's always fun for me. And it was a very good show. So I'm glad to be well, I don't even there. remember last week's show. Who could possibly? But it was good, trust me. <laughs> and from TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. I've reached the point where I am just praying to God that nothing happens before this roster freeze. Because I am just like, I, I am so burnt out at the moment. Charlie that wants a I nap. Can't, I can't. I can't do this. I just can't do this anymore. Like, don't trade anybody, guys. You already did enough crazy stuff, Flyers. Don't do anything else. You can do it after the holidays. It's not going to kill you. The Flyers I mean, like, are, are just quickly killing Charles. They well, are. What if it's like they trade Michael Raffle? You know, that I still will, have you to do an article to, on it. <laughs> yeah, but it won't have to be like 3,000 words. You Fair. can just do like 20, 250, and that's good. <laughs> hey, he had that he had that 21 goal season. We always liked him. He was a good four checker. Uh enjoy St. Louis. You know, it, it, it shouldn't be that hard. All right, but uh guys, I, I realize I've uh, this is now a regular thing that I say. I know this is ice sport, but we have to talk about the Flyers. But um they're news again. The Flyers are the news. Carter Hart's first game led off NHL Now on the NHL Network this afternoon. Uh, This is more than big news in Philly. This is just big league news. One of the most decorated goalie prospects ever uh, played his first NHL game last night. I just want to ask you guys, because this got brought up somewhere, and I started thinking about it and couldn't really come up with, with an answer better than Carter Hart. Is this the biggest, like, most anticipated rookie premiere for Philadelphia since Eric Lindros? I certainly can't think of one more than this i think so i I mean i guess for me personally i was more excited about uh about ghost but that was just because like as much as i i I like carter hart i'm not as attached to him as i was shane goss's bear because he kind of was like my boy as a prospect for years yeah and i really really wanted to see him make his debut but i think on the whole yeah, Hart has to be the biggest. Because who else would it be, right? This is the guy who's supposed to finally solve the goaltending problem that has been a problem pretty much since Pelly Lindbergh died. That's I don't really remember there being a lot of hoopla about, like, Gagne or Justin Williams. Um, Richards no, they, and they, Carter. they were just guys. Yeah, like Richards and Carter. We already we had Peter Forsberg at the time, you know? And Claude Giroux, we had Richards and Carter and Danny Briere and all those guys. Uh, JVR was kind of the consolation prize because we lost the lottery even though we only won 22 games. So I really, and he, you know, he stayed at UNH an extra year and it was 
oh, does this guy even care, blah, 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 and all that stuff about JVR. I was the one saying it. I don't want to make fun of people who did, but they were assholes. <laughs> you, you were driving the conversation. Oh, yeah, I was very much. He blocked me on Facebook when I was, like, a freshman in college. Um, <laughs> there, there was kind of a lot. I mean, not to this level at all, but I would say in between Lindros and this, the Richards Carter rookie season there was a lot of hoopla around them i think just because they were coming up together and, and they I remember, won that cup that yeah, yeah and I, cup. I remember there being a lot of um like at the time like looking back on it now very stupid conversations about like would you trade richards and carter for crosby because it was like the same time that crosby was coming yeah. up yeah we had um, our answer for them yeah, and it was uh so there was some for them, but nothing like this. And I think it's it's you're right. It's because he's a goalie, and we yeah, and forever and ever and ever, whether correct or not, the narrative surrounding this team is they don't have a goalie. So. Yeah, and he's not just a goalie. He is the goal. He's a three-time WHL goaltender of the year, two-time CHL goaltender of the year, a silver in World Juniors, a gold in World Juniors. He is Mr. Canada's goalie. Like, there's a chance we have a goalie that's going to play for Canada in the Olympics one day. That's the type of prospect he... I know this is hyperbolic because he has 60 minutes of NHL action under his belt, but it's it's almost unprecedented to have this level of success in this resume and this track record at this point. So yeah, it's I, pretty, I just it's pretty fun. I'm excited. I'm Me too. I'm real excited, guys. This could be it. This could finally be it. Um Charlie, you were down there last night, correct? You were at the stadium for the game? I was, indeed. Yeah, yeah, that's your job. Uh the, it's again only one game. The feeling in the locker room, the feeling in the building, is it different? Is there I just felt this sense of relief and this I don't I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It just it I they look good once every seven to ten days, so we have to wait for Thursday. We have to wait for the back-to-backs this weekend. I get it. But for one night, did it just feel different? Yes, 100%. 100%. And, and that, that wasn't—I don't think I was something I was inventing because—you know, you know why I don't think it was something I was inventing? Because I don't feel different. Like, I I still am just as skeptical of this team as I was before they fired Dave Haxtell, and I don't think that, like, Dave Haxtell was literally this literally Satan incarnate like most of the <laughs> fan base does. But at the same time, it was blatantly obvious in that, in that arena that the fans did, and they were just like, thank fucking God he's gone. And that was, I mean, even more so than Hart being there. Because Hart being there was great because everybody could get excited about him making saves. But this was primarily the, like, the Wicked Witch is dead. That's what the feeling was in the yeah. arena. No, Hackstall got fired. Hart came up and they already had jerseys available. And there's Gritty merch finally. I feel like they made up all the money they lost to start this season in one night. <laughs> I mean, the they arena. They probably did pretty well. The arena was not packed to the brim like a playoff game. Yeah, but it yeah. was it, but let me put it this way. It was a hell of a lot more packed than pretty much any other weekday game this season has been. Oh, and I think a, like a lot of people, I was sitting there looking at ticket prices being like 20 bucks and under for that game and when it came out that oh yeah, we don't actually have a plan to fire Dave Hackstall. I wanted to buy a ticket just to be part of the riot and then it turns out everything was cool. Everything went down, and a bunch of people lucked into, like, really good tickets that were actually hate purchases. 
But yeah, so I'm looking at the Flyers and I'm looking at their situation and that's all the time we're going to spend on them specifically. I just had to lead it off because last night was a huge night in franchise history, especially recent history. But I'm just looking at this division now and I don't think we've done division by division updates. I don't know how far we're going to get into that, but I want to talk about the Metro specifically. Guys, I have the standings written out here. What in the hell is the Metropolitan Division? Like, what is it? Are they beating up each other and they're better than the numbers? Are they just all bad except for what? Like, what is this division? It's super crazy that two or three years ago, this was arguably the most competitive division in the league. And now it's kind of like the most competitive to the bottom. Which is weird. Like, I don't... I don't know. It's weird. I mean, last year it was really good. Like, last year, both the wild cards were uh, were from the uh, were from the uh, the Metro. So, like, this is kind of a new... Uh, like, a new development. I, I think it's just a combination of a few things. Like, Washington's about as good as you expect... I expected they were going to be. Columbus is about as good as I expected they were going to be. But then you have three... You have, well, I would say two teams. Most people would say three teams that are dramatically underachieving in Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, <laughs> and New Jersey. I think it's two teams. I think it's Pittsburgh and Philadelphia because I think New Jersey is exactly where I expected them to be from a true talent standpoint. But most people would disagree, and they would say they didn't expect New Jersey to be the worst team in the division. I guess I wouldn't say I expected them to be the worst team in the division, but that was more my view of the Rangers and the Islanders than my view of the Devils being good. And then you have the Rangers and the Islanders who, like, it's not as if they're playing amazing, but they're taking advantage of the fact that Philadelphia and Pittsburgh are not playing well. And then there's Carolina, who is just Carolina. They're just what they are. It's crazy. They, you look at that because we talked about it a lot, that culture change trade that Carolina and Calgary teamed up to make. And both teams, you know, good on paper. And you're like, what's the matter? And they, they just needed to switch things up. And you look at Calgary and go, oh, yeah, looks like it worked. And we look at Carolina, who it appeared on paper won that trade because at least they got the best player and in Dougie Hamilton, and they're exactly who they're exactly who they've been. They're they're the thirty three points in thirty two games. They are the Carolina Hurricanes that Hurricanes that we've all come to know. And that's I'm looking at the other divisions. Look, Washington forty three points. They are uh, good. We thought they'd be good. Columbus, 39 points. They're pretty good. We thought they'd be pretty good. Then the Islanders are a point behind Columbus. They're, That's the one that gets me. Yeah, I don't understand 38 how points. Pittsburgh, obviously underachieving, 36 points. This all changes if Pittsburgh turns out to be doing what I kind of think they're doing and just treating the first half of the season like the basketball regular season and just going, yo, we don't need to play until January or February. It's a waste of time. We know what we can do in the playoffs. And then the Rangers, 35, Carolina, 33, Philly, 30, New Jersey, 29. The Atlantic has five teams with 39-plus points, as does the Pacific. Central, uh, three teams with 39. Columbus and Washington, the only team. It's just this. uh, Philly and New Jersey are terrible, and they are by no means out of it. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Maybe New Jersey is, but the Flyers are a point up on them. And I would not be shocked at all if they were to at least get into a wild card position. Yeah, the, mm. Carolina is so funny because you know you kind of you kind of wondered if their weird inability to score goals was the result of uh, 
Peters's system. You know that that Bill Peters was basically you know as much as any coach can was like coaching Corsi. In yeah. that, you know, he was generating all these shot attempts, but they were hollow shot attempts. They were distant shots that weren't preceded by passes that made the shots dangerous. And it wasn't the player's fault. It was the coach for basically having them play a style that wasn't conducive to the scoring goals. Well, Bill Peters goes to, Cal- goes to Calgary. You give him high-end scores, and lo and behold, they're still scoring a lot of goals. And then Rod Brindamore, a new coach, comes in, makes some tweaks to the system, and Carolina still can't score goals. So it's just, I guess Carolina just... I guess they're just a team that just has a bunch of forwards who can do a lot of good things except actually put the puck in the net. Like, I guess I, I guess that's the problem. I think there's a hex on them, actually, because it doesn't make any sense. I feel like every year we hear that Car- this is the year Carolina's going to be good, and then they never are. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I feel like they are the, they're the Roman Josie in that they were, like, over underrated so long that they're now so overrated. Like... It's it's now people are oh they were the sexy pick for like three years and now everyone hates them. But I'll tell you, I think it's a real interesting strategy to have a team that can't score goals and then move your best goal scorer. I think that's a real interesting strategy for them. And we're looking at this Islanders team, who now has uh, this this freaking Islanders team. Are they? I'm waiting for the bottom to drop out. Charlie keeps telling me it's going to. When, Charlie? When? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it'll be the Devils this year where they're good all year, and then next year the whole the whole floor falls out. They suck. They're a bad team. But, I mean, I, I said from the start that I thought that Barry Trotz was going to make them okay, better than they should be, because he was going to institute structure into the team, and he is. You know, they're a structured team, but this is not a good hockey team. Like, it's just not. They they don't, they get outshot and outchanced dramatically. What's saving them right now is that they actually have a goaltending tandem that's playing well, and they have a bunch of guys that are scoring way more goals than they should. I mean, you've got... I'm taking a look at this right now. Brock Nelson is scoring on 15.5% of his shots. Valtteri Filippo is scoring on 26.7. Casey Sizik is scoring on 22.2. Like, they have a bunch of guys who are just... They're lighting up Anthony Bavillier scoring on 19% of his shots. Like, this is Matt Martin, 21. Tom Kuhnhockel, 21. These guys are not going to keep doing this. They're just not. And at some point, it's going to come, it's going to fall back. I, I guess that I, but I mean, I guess they're not going to be, in, in a way, this is good for, for everyone else in the Metro because this was the year where, on paper, the Islanders were going to be bad enough that they might be able to get another 1C. I don't think it's going to happen. So, in all honesty, Keep going, New York. Keep Pull yourself out of the Jack Hughes sweepstakes. That would be great because I was not looking forward to having him in the Metro for the next 12 Seriously. Years. And, I mean, the only thing that pisses me off about this is that it makes Lou Lamorello look like he did something right. But, yeah, if this takes him out of the Hughes race, I'm all for it. I mean, what he did right is hire Barry Trotz. Yeah, And exactly. I will say, thinking about what's going on with the Islanders, this is where I was trying to go this when I lost my train of – go with this when I lost my train of thought earlier um, – Maybe Carolina should have hired this guy because they're, they seem to be accomplishing what what Carolina struggles so hard to do. While And to Charlie's point that this isn't a good team, they're just playing over their heads in a bad division. While they are a point out of second in the Metro, they'd be in sixth in the Atlantic or Pacific. That's, that's just the reality of the situation here. Uh, the Central has some pretty bad teams, some really underachieving teams. They still have three teams with more points than the Islanders. They'd be maybe a wild card there. Um, I just, I'm looking at this division and going, wow, it's it's absolutely insane. But then we look at Alex Ovechkin, 
you know, you go back to Washington, the only team playing probably to its ability, uh, whether not below or above, but actually to its ability. This son of a bitch, Alex Ovechkin, just keeps doing it. Uh, we, I think we talked about it last week, how, oh, this is a young man's league, but you look at the leading goal scorers and it's touch of gray AO sitting right up there. Yeah, I'm convinced that he's the next Yager. He's going to play until he's 65 years old. And yeah, I'm the, here for it. The the high shooting percentage for me is fascinating with him because you know he kind of gets the he gets the reputation of being a sniper, and I get it. Like he's obviously he's obviously a goal scorer. He's obviously one of the best, if not the best, goal scorer in NHL history. But he's never, aside from on the power play. He's really never been a Stamkos type who can, you know, who can hold a 17 or 18% shooting percentage. Like, he just shoots the puck all the time. Oh, no, and he's you, a volume shooter. Yeah, and if you shoot the puck all the time, you're going to score a lot. Like, before this season, his best shooting percentage in a full season was 14.6% in, uh, in 2007 2008, which was a 65 goal season. But even in that year, he took 446 shots. So that was how he scored all those goals. He had a good shooting percentage, not a drastically inflated, but a good shooting percentage. Yeah, that's above average, but it's not crazy. Yeah, this year, he's at 22.5, which is freaking unreal. And you have to think there's an element of luck to it, but at the same time, it's also like, well, maybe he was due for one of these years. Yeah. You know, maybe he was due for this one year where all those shots that he hit the post on just hit the post and go in this time. Yeah, I'm... uh... I'm just endlessly entertained, and as Kelly point put here, we have Caps pens tonight, and as much as that's not maybe what it used to be, because we've seen it so many times, and they've played so many big games, it just being Wednesday night hockey, not even rivalry night anymore, uh, but this is an actual, uh, Crosby versus Ovechkin is still a thing, and this is a good question. Why don't we see Ovi more in the best player ever? Is it just that, oh, he's just a goal scorer as if scoring goals isn't the point of the game? Is it the Russian thing? Like, why don't we see him in the Crosby conversation, like, on the all-time Mount Rushmore list? Because he could challenge Kretzky. We talked about it, I think, last week. It will take doing. It will take some doing. And he'll have to, like, want to keep playing late into his life. But... It's totally possible he challenges Gretzky. And also, I mean, it was a lot easier for Wayne Gretzky to score goals than it is for Alex Ovechkin to score goals. So if you, like, adjusted for era, which I know is a thing that's kind of dumb to do, but, you know, he might already be there. Like, he, it's a lot harder for these guys to score than it was back in the 80s, and he's right there. Um, it was just something interesting that I had, I, I for some reason, had never really thought about, but just... Um, reading on NHL.com that they're still making a thing of Crosby Ovechkin. I'm just thinking to myself, like, we went straight from Crosby to McDavid, which is fine, but there was never, I feel like, a real conversation about who was actually better, O.V. or Crosby. It was just assumed to be Crosby. Yeah, and that that was going to be my answer to, to your question, Bill, in that I think what, what it boiled down to and why we never hear Ovechkin in the conversation anymore is because everyone just agreed that, well, obviously Crosby's better. Yeah. And, if, and if Crosby is better than Ovechkin, then obviously Ovechkin can't be in the race for best player of all time or best player of the year or whatever because it's just... the, the I think the conversation ended when Crosby had those... Um, 
got those last two cups. Yeah. Like until until he had the last two cups, there was probably still people who were arguing that Ovechkin, but then Ovechkin had some down years in that period right before that too. So then he kind of fell off the radar a little bit, at least in terms of being on that level. And then when Crosby won won the next two cups, it was like, and he did it, he did it by beating the Capitals. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay, well now the conversation's just over. It's obviously Crosby and. I do think it's Crosby, but Ovechkin's numbers are staggering. I, I think there's – you could plausibly, depending upon how the rest of their careers play out, there might be a case to be made that Crosby may have been the better player, but Ovechkin may finish with the better career. Yeah. Like no, I, could, I agree with like, that. Like, kind of like how like Lemieux is obviously better than Yager, but Yager's career is more impressive. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, Yager's sitting there, his place among the legends. Lemieux obviously missed a lot of time with different issues, but Yager played till he was 46 or whatever the hell he was. Yeah, like, yeah. That just is what it is. Uh, yeah, I, and just, I always said this about Crosby. Like, I like, I, I, again, hate the Penguins and everything, but I like watching Crosby play, just seeing greatness, but it's really hard to advertise Hey, come watch this guy win every puck battle. Like, hey, if the puck's within stick length, he gets it. He's not the most fun dude to watch. It's not like watching Connor McDavid where you can quantify, yo, every time he's near the puck, there's going to be a scoring chance. He's going to blow by four guys two times on in this game, you know. Ovechkin is fun to watch. He runs around out there laying people out. He rips the big oneies. Like, he's just a really fun dude to watch play. And I, I just don't think, you know, enough attention is paid to his place in... Like, like, we wrote it off early, and now it's... Oh, yeah. You know what? Crosby's, like, the sixth best player now. And Ovechkin is still the best goal scorer, even though we have some of the best shooters ever coming up right now. Yeah, and, like, obviously, Crosby, I think, has had, a lot, you know, all of the concussion issues and stuff that have kind of tampered down his numbers a bit, I think, overall. But, yeah, you're right. He's just not—Ovi's, like, an electric player, and Crosby's, like, good at the whole process of playing hockey. And Crosby does do a lot of highlight reel stuff. Not so much anymore, but he used to. Oh, he's they, got it in him. He yeah, can they were pull always, it out when he needs to. Yeah, they were always super pretty, and like every now and again, you know, he'd deke through six guys and score a top shelf goal or something. But that's I feel like that's like Ovechkin's regular mo. Every goal he scores is somehow fun to watch. Yeah. No, even his crazy deflections because he like reckon he goes, "Ha, huh? well, I'll take it." Like, yeah, when you shoot nine hundred times a season, you're gonna get a few of those. I'm gonna move on to the pens for just a second. Because, uh, Kelly, you put here, speaking of the Pens, they're still bad and that's fun. Matt Murray is back and he's still not doing He's still not doing well. There's some sort of goalie controversy brewing there. But I think the biggest story here, former Pittsburgh Penguins winger Pasqua, Pascal Dupuis suggested on a French-Canadian television broadcast on Tuesday night that the team's problems stem from a disconnect between coach Mike Sullivan and star players Evgeny Malkin and Phil Kessel. And I gotta tell you, as somebody who's the fan of a team looking for a new head coach, I couldn't be happier to hear this. <laughs> I was, Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, a couple of things. Number one, stop giving people a peek behind the curtain at my extremely professional outlines. 
And number two, <laughs> please fire him before the end of the season so that we can swoop in and take him. Because yes, I would please. love like, that. Can you fire a back-to-back Stanley Cup winning coach within two years no. of winning those cups? No, I oh, would I mean, be, you can if you're an idiot. But I would be utterly blown away if they were to fire Sullivan. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And, like, I mean... Okay, I totally buy that there's a disconnect between between Sullivan and Kessel. 100%. I've heard that from too many people that they don't particularly, they're not particularly fond of each other. Kessel gets frustrated with Sullivan. I buy that. The thing is, is like, that's kind of the price of admission with Kessel. Like, yeah. you know, you know, he's kind of going to complain about stuff and coaches aren't going to love him, but he's going to score 30 plus goals a year and he's going to be an impact player and you just kind of deal with it. The Malkin stuff is interesting. That's the, this is the first I've heard of there being a disconnect between Malkin and, uh, and Sullivan, and you know, the fascinating question here is, like, obviously, Evgeny Malkin is still an amazing hockey player. He's he's not in his prime anymore. He's still an amazing hockey player. But like, I'd be intrigued. Like, if if you have to choose between Mike Sullivan and Evgeny Malkin, that's a really interesting question of who you would choose because. Yeah. Like, Malkin, yeah, he's past his prime, but he's still awesome. Sullivan has won two Stanley Cups and only a few years of actually coaching in the NHL. So you could theoretically make the case that you know, Sullivan could be our coach for the next 20 years. Why are we going to give up on him? Because Evgeny Malkin just doesn't like him. And I'm not saying this is the case. That's what the report says. You could also make the case that Evgeny Malkin is still one of the top 10 best players in hockey. And if he says he doesn't like the coach anymore, you fire the coach and get a new guy. It's it's a fascinating question to me. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I don't think it's, from an organizational standpoint, a difficult question because, like, yeah, winning now would be good, but the fact of the matter is the core that won you these cups is aging and they're going to be gone soon. And if you have a coach that can bring in a whole new core and bring them up and get you more cups, like, long-term, the investment seems like Sullivan would be the very easy answer to that question but i just don't know how you can until like evgeny malkin is in a wheelchair and phil kessel just wants to retire so he can eat hot dogs on his couch like i don't know how you break this (laughs) thing up because these guys while they are aging and i'll throw crosby and i'll throw Latang in that group as well while they aren't maybe what they were even a couple of years ago I don't want to play that team in a playoff series. Like, if they get it going a little bit, I don't want to run into Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins in a playoff series. I don't know how you turn your back on an all-time core, even if it is, ah, if we double down on this, the end is going to be, you know, real shitty. But every time the Penguins have a shitty end, they get a golden parachute and get a whole new crop of generational stars. It's a fair point. So why not? I, I just... You know, I would double down if I was them. Um, I'd consider moving on from the coach, but i kind of, if I'm like the general manager there, i just go suck it up, boys. You know? Like I mean, everybody. seriously. Yeah. And this is, uh, the quotes, Mike Sullivan's quotes about Dupuis were, he was annoyed and he said, like, uh, kind of disappointed. And you could tell he was very agitated, but his uh, his quotes on, on Malkin and Kessel, 
All I can tell you is that my relationship with Gino and Phil has been the same since I've been here. We all go through ups and downs and challenges throughout the course of a season. I think that's part of coaching. That's part of being part of a team. That's just part of the process. No one has more respect for those guys than me. I believe there's a mutual respect that exists among us. That's just part of the process and us working through challenges. Certainly on his part, I thought it was pretty irresponsible. His part being um, Dupuis. So it's just a wild i man i like them having problems oh it's great it brings me a lot of joy my god to have i I guess no matter what familiarity breeds contempt like malkin and and and, uh crosby probably don't hang out in the off season you know they've just all right we work together buddy you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean probably. I I, I can't speak to yeah, I, Crosby's friendship. I I get the impression that Crosby tends to enjoy hanging out with players that are significantly worse than him. Call Andrew McDonald, um, <laughs> and may, maybe it's a confidence boost. They're I don't know. From maybe. the same place. <laughs> yeah, like no wonder he got all that time to develop all those skill. He had all the room in the world playing pond hockey out there. Like he's coming in full speed, and Andrew McDonald's just laying on his belly. Like, no shit. He had all the time to develop these moves. Unbelievable. All right, so we can talk some offer sheets here because I know it's a constant thing we we bring up because we just... I love the chaos, and the offer sheet is the ultimate chaos. You get this week of trying to figure out if the team's going to match the offer sheet, and it's like you're poaching a player, and it's kind of this unwritten rule you don't do it, but the Flyers seem to love it, so it's fun. And... This summer, there are some real big RFAs. Uh, you know, Marner, Matthews, Line A, Kyle Connor, Miko Rantanen, uh, Matthew Kachuk, Brock Besser, Braden Point. If there was ever going to be offer sheets, you would think that this is the summer. However, Bob McKenzie spoke on a, on a TSN radio station, I believe, last week, and talked about how if there wasn't an, specifically one guy last summer, Mark Stone, because the situation with Mark Stone was the follow, this summer he's going to be a UFA. If you had offered Mark Stone a one-year offer sheet, Ottawa couldn't match. First of all, they're just cheap as shit. Second of all, you're not allowed to trade a player within one year of signing him to an offer sheet, which means had Ottawa matched they would have to let him walk in free agency. There'd be no trading him if, okay, things don't go our way, we didn't work out a long-term deal, see you later. There's no trading him and getting assets. So the return for an offer sheet would be the only way to get compensated for a guy who was going to leave you anyway. And since that didn't happen, given the situation that you were absolutely going to get the player, you were going to get him and he's awesome, it didn't happen. No one believes, Bob McKenzie does not believe there will be any, despite the incredible amount of talent available this summer. So, like, I totally buy what he's saying, but, like, just to play devil's advocate, like, Charlie has said a million times whenever we throw these crazy ideas out there that, like, the player has to accept two. Like, you don't just get to offer sheet a guy and he's got to go with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once... Once Mark Stone signed that one-year deal with Ottawa, I think we all kind of agreed that that was, like, his escape strategy. He just wanted to get the hell out of there as quickly as possible. And maybe no teams offer, like, maybe no one thought 
let's offer him a one-year deal. Like, maybe these GMs were like, if I'm going to do this thing that's going to make everybody mad at me, I'm going to at least make it for some term so that I get something out of it. And maybe Mark Stone was just like, nah, I'm not doing this. I'm just going to suffer for a year and then be able to go wherever I want for a big fat paycheck because I'm still really good. Like, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think of one-year offer sheets, and the only one that comes to mind offhand is the uh, Clarky offering one year for um, uh, Kessler, and that's the only one I can think of. Paul Holmgren offering Eric Lindros one year when he was playing in the alumni game. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. I, I, I mean, I tend to follow... I tend to just basically implicitly trust anything Bob McKenzie says. Exactly. Um, so that that's sort of my bias on this one. I just I, – I do believe that there probably have been times where players have been handed offer sheets to sign and just didn't sign them. Um, but at the same time, like, I just don't think that NHL GMs have the guts. I, I, like, I think when it boils down to it, it probably happens more than we know, but it still doesn't happen enough to actually happen. Uh, or at least fun. the f- it'd be fun. At least the phone call happens. Like GM calls agent and goes, "Would you yo, do it? Yo, I see. I I see. There's a contract dispute going on. What kind of terms are you looking for? Do you think they would even match? Because if you're not, that's the thing. Is if you think they're gonna match, what's the point? You get everyone mad at you, and you don't get the player. Uh, you throw out the Shea Weber one." Because you thought you were just going to steal from a franchise you were much richer than. Uh, didn't work, but you just thought you were going to get him. So we're going to do this thing. Um, I don't know if Clark even realized how offer sheets work worked when he threw out the one to uh, to Kessler, even though he'd already signed Chris Gratton the one. I don't I don't know if he understood it or not, but. Um, uh, it, it just if you're not going to get the player, it doesn't make sense to do. And so I think yeah, we we get at least the conversation, but my God, look, some of the players I named, for even forget Marner and Matthews, and if you play in the Atlantic, you need to be doing this. Like, maybe, you know, Florida offered, uh, Florida, Florida offered Mark Stone an offer sheet, and he goes, yeah, I'm kind of good on Mike Hoffman, you know, or something like that. Like, hey, yeah, yeah. now, I'll just <laughs> go somewhere else in a year. But when you can forget Marner and Matthews, if you can get Miko Rantanen, like sign that dude to a Connor McDavid contract now. Do it now before the like, or you'll never get a chance. Here's That's a what, way to just get a star player. Boom, yeah. you have a star player. I mean, like if Patrick Line gets to free agency and you're not trying to steal him, like what? It's like malpractice. Like what are you doing? I don't. Yeah. I mean, I know they're not going to do it. Obviously, because Bob McKenzie says they're not going to do it, and because we know they're not going to do it because they're boring. But I don't know why they don't. I don't know why they can't do anything fun ever. Like Braden Point, there is a team. It's not even hypothetical cap trouble like Toronto's going to run into. Tampa Bay has no cap space. You can steal Braden Point. You will get him at a certain point. There's a number they can't reach. It, go get him. I'm yelling at you right now, Chuck. Not. Charlie on the show, Chaz. Chuck Fletcher. <laughs> Chaz, please for, yeah. get on the phone. Like, I, I, I know it's not going to happen. We all know it's not going to happen. But I'm going to keep talking about it because it's asinine that it won't. You're limiting your options. You're just saying, yeah, these players are available. 
But we don't want to step on anyone's toes, so they're not really... I just, it's freaking stupid. Yeah. So this Patrick Berglund situation... I'm obsessed he, with this now, by the way. Uh, this is my favorite The Buffalo thing. Sabres have placed suspended forward Patrick Berglund on unconditional waivers for the purpose of uh, terminating his contract. He just stopped showing up. It's pretty interesting. Uh, apparently, he was part. He got sent to. Uh, he got sent to Buffalo from St. Louis as part of the Ryan O'Reilly trade, and allegedly Berglund had a twenty-team no-trade list, but there was some kind of issue with his agent turning it in on time. Like he had to have it in on June twentieth or June thirtieth or something, and he just didn't get it in on time. And he has zero interest in playing in or for Buffalo. Just doesn't want to be there. And he's just stopped showing up. Yeah, it's... So, first of all, stop being such a piss baby. Buffalo's not that bad. It smells like Cheerios sometimes. Like, you can deal with it for... And they're a good team this year. Yeah, they're good this year. That's the other thing. And it's like... I'm, like, obsessed with... I want to, like, talk to him. Like, did you see how much money he might be walking away from? Yeah, over $12 Like, what are you deal. doing, buddy? Well, is it here's the here's my question. Is it confirmed that he's the one walking away from this? Like, is well, it? Well, he stopped showing up to practice yeah, in I games. Guess, I guess so, but I'm, maybe he. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess he kind of puts the organization in a position where they can do it. Like, I can't imagine this is a mutual termination. I'm sure he'd much rather just not show up and then them, you know, continue Trade. to pay him money for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I, I can't imagine what you would think is so bad about playing for Buffalo. That you're just gonna leave twelve million dollars on the table. Yeah, he was suspended by the Sabers on Saturday for failing to the to report to the team for its road game at Washington. So he was just like, "Yeah, I ain't coming." Uh, he's missed the team's past five games, including two last week when the coach said Berglund was sidelined by an illness. But when you put all this together, you kind of go, eh, "He doesn't want to be there at all." Here's my thing, because I'm looking at. You know, what's the matter with the Blues? Because they're another team that spent a bunch of money and went out and got a bunch of guys, tried to win now, and they traded Berglund. But he's a 30-point player, and he got a no trade. Why? Like what? Oh, because like, NHL GMs what? are idiots. Like, what kind of GM is no one? Like, when I'm looking at what's the matter with the Blues, I'm like, they have all these good players. Why aren't they good? I'm like, oh, because their GM's probably an idiot. He's giving 30 point players no trades. Now it worked out, and they got Ryan O'Reilly, who's like the only guy performing for them now in this <laughs> deal. But it's because the only one more incompetent than the GM is this freaking agent who didn't turn in the no trade list allegedly. <laughs> Yeah, this really, is like, this really is like a comedy of errors, mm-hmm. this whole thing. Like, you just look at it, and you're like, how, how, I get that Berglund is like a two-way, three-C type. Like, you know what Berglund is? Berglund is exactly what my, what I hope Mikhail Vorobiev turns into. And that's great. But, like, you don't give that guy a no-trade clause. No! That's one thing I will credit Ron Hextall with, is he stopped the, uh, he stopped the gravy train of no moves and no trades. That's, Seriously, thank God. That's another thing I think he did pretty well there in that uh, it's not impossible to move on from some of these guys if the time comes. Uh, I guess you can just say, oh, yeah, we never got that fax about your no trades, so you're going somewhere you have no interest in going. But this, uh, 
I just looked at that and laughed. I was like, wait, why? That's shitty that that happened, but why the fuck does Patrick Berglund have a new trade? I just had to laugh at that. It's a fair question. And also, if you're going to be pissed at anybody, be pissed at your stupid agent. Yeah, that's the, like, I just, yeah, he'd be fired, first of all. He wouldn't be getting his 10% or whatever the hell it is, 5% for this year. I'd be like, nah, buddy, that money's coming from a team that was on my new trade. You ain't getting it. So I wanted to maybe wait to talk about this until it was more timely, but I don't know when exactly we'll be doing this show again. The Winter Classic is, of course, New Year's Day. It's two weeks out, less than two weeks out. We have Blackhawks Bruins at Notre Dame, which is, I mean, it's a cool matchup just in, you know, it's the Chicago team, so it's the home team at um, at Notre Dame, and then you have the Bruins with all their Irish people and the, and the fighting Irish and everything, the Gold Dome and all that. It's, I think it's a pretty cool matchup. I still love the outdoor games, but yes, football stadiums are awful for this. Am I the only one who still likes these? So, like... Here's the thing that pisses me off, is that this used to be my favorite thing. I used to, like, really, really look forward to the Winter Classic. And I don't know if it's because there are so many now, or if it's because it's the goddamn Blackhawks again. But I just, like... I mean, I'm gonna watch it, and during the game, I'm probably gonna get super pumped about it. Like, all the show and the setting and all that stuff. I'll probably get amped about it during, but, like... Right now, I'm like, eh, whatever. You know what I miss? One thing I I legitimately miss about having the job I have now, I miss being able to actually watch certain hockey games. Like, it's not that I don't watch hockey that's not the Flyers. It's that I cannot plan to watch any games. Yeah. Because it's like, well, if I happen to be free that night and there's a game on, I'll watch it. But, like, I can't be, I can't say to myself, well, I can't wait to watch that game because it's like, well, there's Flyers probably playing that night, so I probably can't watch it. So, like, I don't even, I don't even care about these games anymore because I just assume that whenever it's happening, I'm going to have to cover a Flyers game. And the Flyers, in fact, do play on New Year's Day. Oh, Charles. It's at night, so you'll probably be able to watch this if you want, but <laughs> they do they do play on New Year's Day. It's a hell of a game. New Year's in Nashville. If you want to take a trip, that's Oh, that's right. Yeah. God, yeah. I wanted to do that so badly. Uh, Everyone just, listening to this should do that trip. That's I don't think like I don't think the outdoor games are the TV event that they used to be anymore. I'm into them and like you said, I just enjoy the spectacle. I like hockey doing the thing it never does. And just being fun, you know, like it's a it's a good time. They market it. There's cool jerseys. Uh, they do different background stories on players. Of course, it's the Blackhawks, so we've seen the background on every single one of their players nine times. But I, I just enjoy it. But I do think they are now for the local markets. I think it's just a cool hockey thing for the fans in that town to go do, and it's awesome. I will go to every single Flyers one. I've been to all three. Yeah. I'm going to find my way into this one, uh, the Stadium Series one. And like I always say, yeah, there are too many, but there are 1,271 regular season NHL games every year. If six of them, and it's not six anymore, but if six of them are a little different, I don't think it's overkill because every other game is exactly the same too. I mean, fair. I Fair. I just like a little bit of difference. It's just that the when they first brought out the whole outdoor game, Winter Classic, Heritage Classic thing, it was special because it was singular. 
And it was also special because the, the NHL had finally planted itself on a holiday that they could make their own and turn it into, like, a thing. Like, a thing every New Year's Day. You look forward to watching the outdoor game that's going to happen between two teams. Everyone can watch it. It's on network television. Everyone's off that day, whatever. And, of course, they fucked that up, too, because they would move the game if there was college football being played because that's too scary for them. And it's like, they just can't do anything right. Oh, the year the year it was here... New Year's Day was an Eagles, a meaningless Eagles-Redskins Week 17 game, and they're just like, yeah, we're going to do it on the second. Like, oh. Yeah, everybody's at work, dude. That's so stupid. Yeah. It's pretty dumb. Yeah, and I will agree with you here, Kelly, is that the football stadiums do suck. I hate them. The the best one I saw was at Fenway, because it's freaking Fenway. Citizens Bank was awesome, because it's my ballpark. The one in Pittsburgh, football stadiums have no soul. Like, all football stadiums are the same. There's no, I guess, Soldier Field, Lambeau Field. That's really it. Like, there aren't famous football stadiums. It's not the same. They're just these big, cold, steel structures. And Baseball stadiums that, have a heart. Yeah. And, and, like, I understand that, like, you know, the shape of the hockey rink is the same as the shape of a football field. So you can kind of plop it right there in the center. Maybe it looks better visually. It's not all off kilter like it is in the baseball diamond, but you know, okay. So everybody's an equal distance away from the hockey rink now, except that that distance is now super far because you're in a giant bowl. Like at least like I was super far away at Fenway, but like it wasn't that far. No, I was on the Green Monster, and it was great. Yeah, I was, like, right across from you then. Yeah. So I was pretty far away, but it was still cool. Yeah, it was awesome. And that's, like, uh, just the visual of, yo, I've seen snow on a football field before. That's not, like, a crazy occurrence. A baseball stadium you only go to in the summer. It's this thing, and then all of a sudden you're there on New Year's Day, and it's just a totally different atmosphere. I I love them, but... They do frustrate me because, of course, it's the NHL. That should just be the goddamn tagline. That's what they do. Yeah. All right, I guess we'll close with the Kings here. Uh, Jeff Carter on the trade block. We're old, guys. Like, all of a sudden, Jeff Carter's like the old veteran who's going to be moved because it's almost over for him and the team's going to rebuild. Like, I just... Unbelievable to me. My God, how did this happen? Yeah, when I read this today, I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) What are they even talking about? Because it was implied that because Carter likes being in L.A. so much, maybe he doesn't want to go anywhere else. If they decide they want to move on from him, he'll just go ahead and retire. And I'm like, okay, hold on. How did we get to Jeff Carter retirement? Like, how did that happen? I mean, he's only 23 or 33. So, like, he's not that old. I guess it's just, like, he's made a lot of money. And at the same time, we've already seen what Jeff Carter does when he gets traded somewhere he doesn't want to go. He just stops stops giving a fuck. (laughs) So, like, it's not as if he doesn't have a... (laughs) It's not as if he doesn't have a track record to show teams that are interested in trading more. Be like, yeah, I'll just Columbus you guys. Come back to Sea Isle, buddy. Yeah, just come hang out. (laughs) Carter has this year and three more left on that mega contract he ended up actually signing with the Flyers. Uh, where... Yeah, they still... They gave Ilya Kovalchuk three years. This That team is goddamn hilarious. I don't care And they're playing they him on the fourth line, aren't they? Yeah. It's hilarious. 
And that's part of my thing is there should be specialists. You should be able to dress 23 guys and, you know, he should just only play on the power play, Ilya Kovalchuk. But, yeah, just the passage of time is wild, man. Jeff Carter was the – he was the young hotshot having too much fun, and now he's the old guy who'd rather just retire. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy to me, man. i fucking been in this thing longer than I thought, I guess. Yeah, we're old. Pack it in, fam. That's my first, my first, uh, like, time covering the Flyers was, yeah, 2011, his last year here. That summer was the first real time I ever did anything was uh, with Bleacher Report. So, my God. I still remember, do you guys remember that picture of baby Jeff Carter and baby Mike Richards underneath the sign in the locker room that said, we supply everything but the guts? Yes, very much. I, I used to have that picture as, like, my... I don't know, like MySpace avatar or some shit a thousand years ago. And it just like, I really thought those dudes were going to be flyers forever. Yeah. Oh my God. It was, that was, that was it, man. Mike Richards was our Chase Utley. Like it was all coming together and it just fell apart. My my phone, (laughs) my phone background for years was Richards and Carter with, um, with the four girls at the bar. Just hang oh, all God. <laughs> I just thought that thing was hilarious because they were. That's rock extremely stars, on man. brand for you, I think. <laughs> they were rock stars, man. All right, guys. I think that is all the time we have on we Ice Sport Radio this week. Uh, I'm not exactly sure when we'll be back with the holidays taking up everyone's schedule. I think we some... decided we're taking off next week. We we're are taking, taking off, off next week, so we will see. Uh, we will see. When we pick back up with New Year's and everything, because that is also on a Monday and it's throwing off our whole BSH radio recording schedule. But you don't need all that information. Uh, Just a happy holidays. Merry Christmas. If we don't see a happy New Year from me and Kelly and Charlie and Steph and everybody over at Broad Street Hockey. Thanks for hanging with us all this time. uh, we couldn't be here without all you, so so Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and rate us. And come to our Festivus party Yay. Sunday the 23rd, this coming Sunday at Tavern on Broad. We will be there. Well, Charlie won't because he's got a job. Uh, you know, he covers the team professionally. Uh, he doesn't just use it as an excuse to get drinks at the bar. Um be nice though yeah it would be uh, I'm, I'm done uh, thanks come out to our party tavern on broad sunday it's going to be a good time we're going to be at the game thursday night authentic fan night we're going to be at the ed snyder uh youth hockey foundation table come and say hello have a great week everybody Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to The Good Fight podcast feed.